accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the 15th episode of the fourth season. It's called Sons of Moog. It aired on February 12th, 1996, written by Ronald D. Moore, the resident uh, Klingon expert, directed by David Livingston. In this episode, Worf's brother Kern arrives on the station and asks Worf to kill him. Meanwhile, Klingon ships are detected outside Bajoran space. We're joined, as always, for the rest of DS9 by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I, I think that this episode would be great for... You ever see that Twitter account that's like Picard Management Tips? Yep. I think this would be the basis for a good one, which is um, make sure to clear your rit- ritualistic killings with your superior officer. Yeah, make sure to lock the door, I think, is the... Is the yeah, if that you're too. Gonna, if you're going to ritualistically uh, kill somebody, you should lock the door, so that takes a little bit of time for them to get in. Um, the greatest... The greatest Twitter own I ever had was that Picard Management Tips tweeted something like, never lose your cool under pressure or something. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted a gif of uh, first contact Picard mowing down the Borg and attacking them with his <laughs> Tommy gun. And he didn't respond. I, I assume that I had just proven him wrong. Did you like, did everybody in the room with you who saw you do that just give you a round of applause? Yeah, they all stood up and applauded. It was beautiful. Oh, wait. Were you alone? <laughs> Like that, like remember that old commercial of the guy that wins in video poker? Yep. Yeah. And he just <laughs> looks, he's celebrating in his basement by himself. Unfortunately. You're a loser, Wes, is what I'm trying to say. Very applicable. Been to dancing Wes. around it for too long. All right. So we're going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. We're going to break down Sons of Moe. Kern's going to make it. Julian said he'll be up on his feet by tomorrow morning. Good. Mr. Worf? I want you to tell me why I shouldn't put you on the next transport out of here. You are well within your right to do so. I'm not talking about my rights. Answer my question. Captain, I do not have an answer. Sir, I realize my actions were in violation of Starfleet regulations, but... Regulations? We're not talking about some obscure technicality, Mr. Worf. You tried to commit premeditated murder. Benjamin, it wasn't murder. Worf and Kern were performing a mock Tavor ritual. It's part of Klingon belief that when At the moment, I don't give a damn about Klingon beliefs, rituals, or custom. Now, I have given you both a lot of leeway when it comes to following Klingon traditions. But in case you haven't noticed, this is not a Klingon station, and those are not Klingon uniforms you're wearing. There is a limit to how far I'll go to accommodate cultural diversity among my officers, and you've just reached it. When your brother is released from the infirmary, you better find another way to settle your family problems. Is that clear? Captain, it may not be possible uh, to... It's clear. There are definitely other possibilities for Kern. This will never happen again. You're damn right it won't. Now, both of you, get out! All right, Clay. So, after our last episode, which was um, uh, Return to Grace, we had mentioned that the Klingon presence hadn't really been something that the show had been focusing on, and it returns here with both a focus on Worf and his brother in uh, the front, and the B story actually has to do with the Klingons, what they're doing in the, uh, the area around DS9. But... This is the first and only appearance of Kern on DS9. Um, Tony Todd coming back after his spectacular turn in the uh, the Visitor, the second episode of this season. He returns as a different character who we've seen before. He's been on. Oh, T- that's a different character. I thought that was just just ultimate, old age. Ultimate timeline, Jake Sisko. <laughs> the, um, He's gone through a very rough patch. 
The Kern was in like four TNG episodes, I think. The Sins of the Father was the big one. Um, he returned mm-hmm. every once in a while after that. But we know Kern. We know this. Uh, so what did you think of Sons of Moog? Um, I liked about 90% of it. And the last 10% of it left me kind of cold. And I'm sure you can probably guess why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, um, I thought it was really, I thought it was great. I thought it was a, uh, a really good exploration of the, um, Worf's approach to being Klingon and the traditional approach to being a Klingon. And they really kind of, they, they give you both sides of that coin without really being preachy about it, which I appreciated, um, how, you know, where Kern will throw, the Klingon tradition at Worf, Worf will come back in a different way and, and show him kind of why that's stupid. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't come out and say that. Like, the the writers aren't trying to uh, have Worf monologue about why Klingon tradition is bullshit. But uh, they do manage to have Worf, in particular, have a pretty solid uh, back and forth with his own... Uh, cultural fluctuation, which I thought was, uh, it's definitely more than anything they ever did with him on TNG. Yeah. I was thinking of the, um, I know that we talk about this all the time, but it's like, it's a very, I think what TNG does sort of shines a light on what DS9 does, but TNG, when it did the Klingon stories, and I kind of, I kind of like the Klingon stories on TNG, except I always felt that there was something missing to them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just really the, you really see the difference in storytelling between the two series where in TNG, the Klingon stuff was more about the drama of the event than the actual uh, ramifications of what was happening. Right. So Worf and like Sins of the Father, it's a lot of like the very operatic, like the Klingons are like, you are kicked out of here. You're never allowed to go back. And Worf is like, oh, I must come back one day and we, me and my brother will fight to regain our honor. Uh, Sons of Moog, because we even mentioned on Way of the Warrior that they're kind of repeating Worf's storyline in DS9. They're just doing it um, again. And it's not an exact copy, but it's the same where Gowron has kicked Worf and Kern out of the Klingon Empire. Um, and here, it's much more of a focus on what that means for them as characters, which mm-hmm. you, you never really got a sense of that on TNG. It never really affected Worf that much, except for the fact that he couldn't go back. Um, and here... It feels like the writing of DS9's Worf is complementary to the TNG writing, and he's really fleshed out at this point as to how all of this is stacking up against him, his point of view, uh, where he stands in terms of everything by the end of this episode with his respect to the Klingons and respect to the Federation. And I, I find I like this episode quite a bit. I'll, I'll be interested what you don't like about the ending, I'm assuming, but I, I will say that the... Um, the way that they flesh out the two here is in line with everything TNG did, but it also deepens that. And you, I really feel that these two are brothers in a way that I didn't feel that they were on TNG. It was, TNG was more just a declaration that they were brothers, and this one actually shows right. me that they do care about each other. Yeah, and they, uh, the biggest deviation from the way they handle it on TNG is, or really any character on TNG, is that the, towards the end of the episode, Worf actually has like, he comes to a conclusion and then seemingly moves on from that point instead of just like every week it's the same thing and different inversion. And this one, he's like, so I guess I'm not really a Klingon, 
as much as I am a member of the Federation. So I guess all I really have is the Federation. I should probably just focus on that and try to move forward with my life. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of instead of like somebody posing that as a question at the end of the episode and him not answering it. Right. You know, like that, <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like that's how it would be at the end where they have some, cor- some sort of conversation. Then, then, you know, Jordy's like, uh, well, if you're not a Klingon and you're not of the Federation, then what are you? And then he doesn't really answer that. And that's kind of the end of the episode. He does that like Michael that. Dorn inhale, exhale thing where he just kind of like lifts his head a little bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but here he actually comes to that conclusion himself and that informs his, uh, it, inf- well, I guess it doesn't really inform the way he handles the end, but, uh, it informs, I, hopefully it informs the way that he it, it is performed and written as a character moving forward. Yeah. Well, the, the writers, uh, the backstory of this one is that the writers on DS9 thought that they were actually ping-ponging Worf a little bit too much about whether or not he could or could not return to the Klingon empire. Um, TNG had a very optimistic look on it because if you look at every single flash forward that takes place in the future, Worf is returned to the Klingon Empire in the TNG universe. Mm -hmm. Um, It ends all good things that way. He sort of goes back to the Empire. Um, Well, I think that still makes sense because, like, the the action that he takes here and and, uh, when they have that big conversation with him and Kern, he's like, dude... Why did you vote against that? Because you know that they're not going to win this war if they start this war because they are more uh, concerned with honor and fighting and dying than they are with actually preserving their people. So I could totally believe that eventually uh, Worf just becomes the leader because he's the, the 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 only living smart one. Right. <laughs> yeah, his, um, his experience in the Federation has like made him the greatest uh, Klingon leader of all time. The... Uh, the DS9 writers actually said that they saw, Ron Moore wrote this, and he said that they decided that they wanted this to be kind of a um, drawing the line as to Worf can't ever go back. And that Worf's character is better defined by his outsider nature, which is, you know, in the way of the warrior, we talked about why Worf had to be the TNG character that came over because he's the most outsider. And I think that yeah. the all of the DS9 characters are real outsiders to everything and making war fit into that and making him an outsider who can never go back no matter what he wants to do. Even if he's allowed to go back, he realizes that he can't go back and be, it's not what he expected. It's not the, the hipster climbing on image of what he had in his head is not what's actually going to happen. And I think it was a smart decision because the ping ponging would have gotten a little bit tiresome at this point. And I think that this right. is, as you're saying, this is the, the mark in the sand. We can move forward with the character from here. Yeah, and um, it's interesting that they didn't. Well, I guess they didn't really do anything big enough to to warrant this uh, decision. But um, it's almost a little bit interesting that they did. They don't have him choose not to go back. Like I, I feel like with him, I could see him getting to a point where he's like, you know what, these Klingons. I thought I was a part of them, but they're a bunch of assholes. Like they. They don't think rationally. They don't consider the needs of anybody else other than themselves. Fuck these guys. I, you know what? I don't want to be a part of these guys. I'm a member of the Federation, and that's where my loyalty – you know, like that more of a actively rejecting – because because he's – his character is so much um, – trying to find where he belongs and really wanting to be part of the Klingon empire and the Klingon people that it feels like it would be equally as satisfying for him to actively reject it. You know, 
Yeah, I, I can understand that. I think I disagree as wanting that. I think he should be more mournful of it. Like I like I think, the, No, that's totally fair. I'm I'm not saying they should have done that. I just I'm just think yeah. uh it would have been an interesting other way to handle it. Yes, you could I, I right, and the, the way that you'd have an episode do that, I think the stakes would have to be bigger in that case. Like it's more of a interacting yeah. with Gowron type situation where I could see that, but the because it's coupled with Kern um and Kern's quote-unquote death here that the mournful approach, I think, is more... I, I find it more satisfying, I think. I prefer yeah. this ending yeah. because this is... Worf has been working at something for so long and to then just realize that he can't ever have it is more of a sad mm. thing, I think, than a sort of, like, active, like, I'm going to do something else about this. I If, you know, if his, the TNG episode where his wife was killed feels more like an event that... Um, not his wife, but his maid, that Kalar was killed, feels more like an event where he would actively reject, and this feels like it's more... Um, a morning of, as he says in the episode, all of his family is gone. Like he doesn't have anything left, Klingon or personal. Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, what I was saying w- would be better if this was the last Wharf story ever told uh, and there was no more stories after this. Oh, sure. <clears throat> I think what I was saying, I'm not saying it would be better. I'm not saying that at all. But I was saying like it would make more sense. I totally agree with what you're saying because having him actively reject it really doesn't leave you anywhere else to go. Yeah. Um, but having him be mournful about never being able to get back there does kind of it 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 re it realigns his trajectory, but it keeps him equally um, in limbo, sort of. Yeah. Um, so which fits in perfectly with with the what with the with what they're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the I think that the the focus on the. I find this. I find that the show is really comfortable with these kinds of episodes now. Like the, the, I feel like the DS Nine has settled into these are what the kind the episodes are kind of like. It's a lot of close ups. I noticed on the direction level between this one and yeah. Return to Grace, it's a lot of close ups. A lot of people talking. Um, I think both Dorn and Tony Todd are terrific in this. Mm-hmm. Tony Todd particularly is very good as Kern. I think here he does. He hits pretty much every note right, and. Like you were saying earlier, you you can side with both of them in this. Neither one right. comes off as the complete asshole to the other. They're just kind of stuck in where they are at this point in their lives, and they don't know how to reconcile that and move forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Dorn's great, too. I mean, I think he's getting better on the show than he ever was on in TNG. Yep. Um, I don't know if that's because the character is a little bit more uh, – gives him a little bit more to um, – uh, sink his teeth into uh, his fake Klingon teeth. Yeah. Um, or if he's just getting better, I don't know. But maybe it's Tony Todd. Maybe he's having somebody really good to bounce off of. Off of. But I think yeah, he's he's great. Yeah, it's a um, he has a, and I think it fleshes it out just because he's allowed to interact with the other characters. Like I find the um, uh, well, Worf and Dax. We can get them out of the way first of all. There's there's something brewing there, obviously, right. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> I I thought that I, I thought that scene was really really interesting. <laughs> he, he's more or less like, well, the only reason that I was caught off guard was because of you know your tits were hanging your, out. Your your sweet rack. <laughs> so clearly, clearly based on the the women in the Star Trek universe, he's had a thing for. He appreciates uh, cleavage, ample ample cleavage. I guess that that is a good Klingon pun that they would appreciate cleavage. That makes sense, right? 
It's actually, you know, what's funny is, I mean, she was dressed a lot like uh, a lot like Troy in that scene. So yeah. you never know. Yeah, yeah. They were they were actually trying to sneak a line into the episode that explains he had broken it off with Troy at this point, but they they felt no, there was no place they could actually put it in and make sense, so they just left it. And it's never announced what happened between him and Deanna Troy at the end of TNJ. Um, yeah. That's just a small, pointless thing, but it is something there. So the other thing that I think is interesting is. Um, and another difference between the series is Worf and Odo's relationship is very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Who do you think Odo likes more, Quark or Worf? Ooh. Um, you know, uh, I would say he probably likes Quark a little bit more. Yeah, I think I'd agree too, which is which is interesting because – Worf has because annoyed everybody Odo. is racist towards Ferengi, so it's <laughs> nice to see someone who's not. <laughs> Worf has annoyed Odo, but I, I don't. It's interesting that they butt heads so frequently in this one. Odo mm-hmm. has a very hostile line of here. I'm a person who collects on my debts. When after Worf had asked him for a favor, which is interesting. You know, I think this is this is just me completely projecting. Uh, it it almost seems to me like Odo appreciate uh, Odo is as much of a pain in the ass as Quark can be. Um. Odo appreciates him because he knows exactly where Quark stands. And Quark is, for all of his deceptiveness, is is pretty um, true to his, to who he is and, like, is kind of, like, on a straight line. Whereas Worf, Worf's all over the place. He's, you know, Quark, Quark has nothing to do. He's the, he, he runs, he runs the bar and he's trying to make some money on the side. And Odo, I feel like, can probably respect that to an extent. But Worf is, like, moping around, can't decide whether or not he's a Klingon or in the Federation. He's trying to kill his brother. And it probably annoys Odo because Odo's all about security and, you know, rule of law and making sure everything is in its place and very aligned. And Worf very much is out of alignment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is funny that they, the, the shapeshifter is the rigid one. I mean, it is kind of a, a contradiction of what they are and what they, uh, what they like to be. But it, if Worf showed up like tomorrow with like a new earring, Odo would probably lose his shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't, um, he probably does. I mean, there's also the, uh, the, the in, uh, story stuff they told us is that Worf, Worf kind of steps on Odo's toes because Worf is like, I was an ex security officer, so I can do all the security right. stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're very, it's funny. It's they're more similar to each other than Quark and Odo are, but you understand why Odo probably likes Quark more than he likes Worf. Is the reason that you're saying? But it's funny because the two characters are Worf and Odo are fairly similar to each other in a lot of ways. Yeah. As they yeah um, they are yeah. And I guess it's just they're so similar, but they're the kind of personality that would not like looking at themselves in the mirror. They they and I think that's true. They don't like looking at who they are when they don't live up to what they claim to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, they're both um, exiles from their home. Yep. Uh, living so, yeah, amongst people who no one is like they are living. Uh, yeah, they're both they're both totally right. alone in their own new environment. What? Yeah. And what? what's interesting, though, is that Worf, Worf's demeanor is very much in line with, well, uh, traditionally, Worf's demeanor is very much in line with what the Klingons are about, I mean, it makes sense. He's a security officer. He's about, you know, strong fist and all that kind of crap. Uh, but Odo, the shapeshifters don't really 
that doesn't seem to be their thing so much. So it's like you said, he's he's the shapeshifter, but he's the one that needs to be everything needs to be in place. Yeah, in Did, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite his so they uh, they are very similar, but they are you know also fairly diverge in certain areas. Yeah, and um, if <laughs> if anything about the episode, I don't really like. I I think that there's there's one very minor. Uh, I don't know if it's a plot hole, but it's a uh, plot inconsistency. The other thing that I'm not super crazy about is that I feel there's a lot of sort of um, diverging from the main storyline, like Kern getting the security guard job. I understand why that happens. Yeah, It feels a little bit like it's a side journey. And then I, I sort of think that the end result where he lets himself get shot is unintentionally funny to me. <laughs> like it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be funny, but it's kind of funny that that's the way it pans out. And Worf has to run to sickbay again to get his brother mm-hmm. who's again failed to die. Um, yeah, I I thought that whole thing was really strange uh, because they have the scene where Worf and Odo are talking about giving him a job, and then he's like, "Yeah, fine, I'll give him a job." And then the very next scene is Kern being totally cool with working as at this job and being kind of good at it. And I was thinking, shouldn't he like? Shouldn't there be a scene where Kern is like, "I'm not working this fucking job." Mm-hmm. Like it seems like it was something he would he would push back against quite a bit at the beginning. Yeah, he pushes. He pushes back against the uniform. I guess it's we're supposed to be led to believe that because of the Klingon hierarchy of siblings, he he just listens to what Worf tells him to do. Um, but I, but would, I mean, he's like he, he's on the, he's got, he's on the verge of kill himself. Yeah, he's yeah. got he's got no self worth. He doesn't you know why would he be like oh oh you know what I was gonna I was gonna go hang myself, but now that you've given me a security job where I get to inspect stuff, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel the the other I feel the more realistic outcome would have been Worf uh, is looking for him and he finds him like drunk and passed out behind some of the cargo in the cargo bay. You know, like he's been drinking on the job or something. He's not into it, but he is kind of into the job, which makes that transition where he just tries to get shot all the more startling. Well, you know, I for a second, I, I thought like that was just going to be what it was. I, I actually checked the time on the episode because I was like, oh, we're only like a half an hour in. Because part of me thought like, oh, maybe he's that's just, he's going to be here now. I mean, because this seems like a, a pretty good resolution to this problem. It's like, yeah, no, we'll give you a job. And he seems to be happy at it. And, you know, he gets to rough people up. So, you know. And a lot, a lot of characters have uh, been sent to DS9 as kind of purgatory. Like uh, right, Zayal right. Has, has been sent there to sort of, if you don't know what to do with her, you, uh, people, you send them to DS9. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, he might be a good, might be a good addition because he has a little bit more edge than Worf does, and all that. You know, he can be the 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 Klingon conscience on Worf's shoulder and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but clearly, that was not the case. But that the, the quickness at which they were they got to that point made me think this was just the way they were ending that part of the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other, I I want to talk a little bit about the B plot, and then just we'll wrap up with the the Klingon first first B plot in a while, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. it was almost startling. It almost felt like a holdover of an earlier era. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, wow, this feels like a more dated version of the episodes where they have this B-plot going on. Although, this is a pretty good B-plot, I think, in my opinion. It's not great, but it's pretty solid in the way that it ties mm-hmm. into the main story. Yeah, I agree. The um, cloaked mines are always interesting. Mines are going to be a big part of DS9, actually. This is like a new technology that they've discovered that they want to use. But... Um, yeah, the Kling- it, it, you know, it furthers the story of the Klingons being out there. They're doing something. Uh, it's going to be bad for the Federation if it goes through and easily kind of resolves itself. Everything resets at the end of it. That's kind of what I would expect from a B-plot like this. But you are, you're reminded that the Klingons are out there existing, um, even if it's not the 
you know, the Worf storyline is constantly hammering you over the head that the Federation and Klingon thing is broken down at the, this is the ramifications of those actions. Losing their, yeah. uh, their house and everything like that, losing their property. Yeah, I, um, I was, it was, when it started off, it was a B plot that I didn't think was really going to amount to anything. Um, but I like that they managed to, to, uh, weave them, weave the, the two plots together pretty well. Um, even the, even the resolution, I think ties in nicely to Worf's decision there where the guy like Worf realizing that he didn't notice that this Klingon was going to kill him and Kern did. Um, yeah, I think it's a really great scene there that like that, they, that scene says a lot more than Worf ever, Worf and Kern ever talking to each other could. It's, it was a really good crystallization, I thought, of the difference between the two brothers. Like, Kern is a Klingon at this point, and Worf realizes that he is no longer really a Klingon, um, at least in terms of what it takes to be a Klingon. Yeah, I thought that stuff was great. And I mean, usually, uh, usually that scene, that scene would happen in pretty much anything, any show or whatever, where, you know, you're talking to the, the guard and then you turn your back on him and the other, your, your partner shoots him and then, he's like, oh, why did you shoot that guy? And he's like, cause he had a gun or yep. he had a knife. He was going to kill you. But the, uh, um, the uniqueness of the situation allows Worf to actually kind of like, um, sit on that for a little bit and think about what it means to him as a character, which never happens. Yeah. Uh, yep. They usually just play that beat as like a, you know, it's just a, a static. A Got to keep your head in a swivel. Yeah, a very yeah. stock thing. But um, the way that they did it here, yeah, it was that. That was the thing that led him to his uh, realization that he's he's a Federation dude. He's not a Klingon anymore. Which I, I, I thought was great. I think that um, the Kern and Worf, especially in this episode, have maybe the best sibling relationship across all of Star Trek. Uh, that I've seen. Well, except for data and lore, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Except for those two, I was inclu- I was including those two, but I was thinking like um, uh, Spock and Cyborg. I'm not crazy Tom about and, Tom and Will. Tom and Will, uh, Natasha, Natasha, and her sister. Um, Tom and Will, also known as the Devil's Triangle. <laughs> and you know that's the first thing that popped into his head as soon as he got back. <laughs> as soon as he saw himself in the in the uh, the doorway there. Um, first thing he he saw himself, and then he was like. Where's Deanna? <laughs> She's in Worf's quarters. Um, the the I rela- mean, well, he's uh, he's honestly it's it's the only relationship that we get a lot of, you know. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, yeah, Will, Tom and Will isn't really they're not really siblings. Uh, you never see Tasha and her sister and daughter. Is it is the Romulan her daughter? Yes. Oh, that's right. Yes, because Tasha's life was nothing but pain. I forgot. That's right. Yeah, pain and um, suffering. Yeah, you never see anything with her family. You get a little bit of Picard's family, but again, that's that's only very brief. Um, yeah, this is the only only real uh, sibling relationship that feels pretty real, actually. Yeah, and I think that they 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 bicker with each other, but they also care for each other. Um, and I think that the they're both they're both really just coming from a place of good faith to fix this problem, and it just doesn't line up. And it, Kern has a great remark here. Uh, he has a quote towards the end of it. He says, "Do you know my what my one regret is, Worf, that we weren't raised together in the Empire on Earth? It wouldn't have mattered, but the sons of Moog should never have been separated." Um, and he says that right before he passes out, and Worf does his plan, which is to mind wipe Kern so that Kern can uh, be born again, basically, and live a life with honor. Um, 
Sons of Moog, incidentally, is my favorite uh, 1980s Bruins fan t- fan club. <laughs> was there a Moog on the Bruins? Yeah, man, Andy Moog. Oh, I'll see. Yeah, I don't, he's a goalie. I don't know. He was great. He was a goalie. I, yeah. I don't know. He was kind of before my time. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, traditionally, I know him as being great, but being from Boston, most players are referred that way. Yes. Uh, regardless of whether or not it was true. Until they leave for more money. Yes, and, and then the, they are pieces of shit. Yes, absolutely, to be spit upon. Uh, so let's It'll talk about to all of you. Let's talk about the ending here. I love that quote. I love the fact that they, right after Kern says that, they go about with this thing of uh, mind wiping Kern. And I don't know if it changes anything for you. Uh, I called you Wharf, uh, Clay, but um, Kern never returns. This is a permanent change that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the end of the Kern story for all intents and purposes. But what, what did you not like about the ending? Um, I thought for an episode that was pretty down the middle um, as far as how it was handling the situations it was in, and I, I hesitate to use the word realistic, but for lack of a better term, realistic, uh, their out at the end is very, very silly sci-fi. Okay. Um, I... It, it. I mean, it obviously the first thing it made me think of was Discovery, which is never going to be a good thing. Um, but yeah, like wiping his mind and altering his DNA to so he would think that he was someone else's son. I don't know. I, I, what I was kind of thinking was going to happen is I figured he was going to die on whatever like mission they were going on to get the codes on the Klingon ship. That way he could die with honor, but maybe it's not the honor he thought it was. Maybe he gets, you know, gets killed by a, a Klingon whatever, and then he's like, oh, shit. I mean, I guess I'm dying, but I never, but then he's, never he's expected dying. to be killed by one of my own people, you know, whatever. Then he's dying for the Federation, though, which which the schism between the two of them wouldn't allow well, I, I would, I Well, I, could, I, I could argue that maybe he dies for Worf. Oh, so I see. So maybe, okay. you know, some sort of situation where that happens. Um as opposed to dying specifically for the Federation. Because he's also dying for but for the safety of the Klingon people. Yes. Because that's the whole the whole speech that Worf has. It's like, you know, you're we have to do this because you know that this is a bad idea. Um so I think you could I think you could get away with that and have it be consistent. I, just, I don't know. I just thought for for something that was so yeah, for something that was so fairly realistically dealt with up to this point, it just seemed like a, 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 a hacky sci-fi way to get out of it. See, I think it's a, an appropriate sci-fi ending because mm-hmm. what it does is it's using the sci-fi to show you the symbolism of what's going on. So Worf is allowed to kill his brother without actually killing him. So he lives up to the Federation values of not murdering his brother. But for all intents yeah. and purposes, in terms of what the Klingons value as important, which is family, he no longer has any of that. So he's given up on everything that the Klingons would think is important to side with the Federation side and also living up to the Federation side of not killing somebody. So I, I think it's really appropriate. I think it's it's actually a pretty sad ending for Worf. My, my sort of plot hole thing about it is that Worf doesn't ask Kern to do this, right? Worf just does it to him. Yeah, he just does it to him. And which makes it all the more funny that Cisco gives has a great scene where he chews out Worf and Dax because he's like, enough of you guys fucking around pretending to be Klingons. This isn't a Klingon station. 
Um, no one has a problem with mind wiping someone without their consent. <laughs> like they're, mm-hmm. they're just going to do that. That's my only issue with it. Um, I think the episode and the ending is still good enough to get around it. But like when I when I look at it that way, I'm just like, that's kind of a, a weird problem there. Um, but I don't think I, Kern would have agreed to it is the, the problem. I also think, I think the, the thing that really makes it stand out here more than it would in like another episode of Star Trek possibly is that it just comes out of nowhere. It's very much like It's never a, hinted at before. Yeah, yeah, it's very much a deus ex machina type of we need to get out of the situation. Even though I understand what you're saying, just the going from uh from fairly small family drama for the most part into oh yeah, by the way, we have the technology to wipe his mind and alter his DNA. It just it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I do think that's problematic, but I, I still think the the symbolism of what has happened there, um, I think it's a very appropriate out. For Just hit the him story. on the head really hard. That always that's I mean that's that's just, that that's that's uh, uh, an equally effective way in television to uh, induce amnesia as uh, anything else. But then if someone accidentally hits him again, his memory will come back. You know, no, oh, that's true. That's that's yeah. the that's the downside of that. That's that's the the the, the rope you have to walk <laughs> when it comes to amnesia. Um, so I'm, I'm maybe not surprised. I, I understand your your point. Did 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 the ending then sort of knock the episode down a little bit for you, or, or was it just something that you were just like, oh, I wish that had gone a different way? Um, Do you think it hinges on the ending there? No, I don't. I don't know. I think it's tough because that it it really did. The ending really did kind of rub me the wrong way. Hmm. Um, I under I I think the the thematic part of the ending i think is fine um yeah it was just i think it was just so out of out of nowhere and it really i don't know if it knocks it down for me i i would say probably not because i would still recommend it um regardless of of the of the uh my problems with the end yeah yeah um yeah it's just not it's not it's not my preferred way to end it let's put it that way uh what'd you think of wharf throwing a little bit of shade at Alexander, who is apparently not important enough to be mentioned as family. <laughs> well, uh, you know, in uh, in Miami Vice, uh, in the first episode and first season of the show, Sonny Crockett, part of his character is that he has this wife that he's getting divorced from and he has this son um, who is, you know, he gets to see and he's very conflicted because he's he wants to see his son and blah, blah, blah. The, person, blah, it's the woman she's call, he's calling in the famous uh, in the yes, Arsenite yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got a picture of his son on the desk. And uh, uh, there's, a, there's a joke that my friend and I had when we were watching it that every season that photo gets pushed further and further to the edge of the desk and eventually it's on the wall and eventually it's gone. Yep. And uh, that feels like how they're treating Alexander where it's like, yeah, he's, he's out there somewhere. We just don't really care about yeah, it. <laughs> I mean, th- there will be episodes that we can focus more on that quickly, but like – uh, Ron Moore, I was reading about it. Actually, he he said it was unintentional, but he he his argument was you could retcon it to uh, the strife between the two of them at that point. Like it's a it, their relationship is not good. Worf and Alexander didn't end yeah. TNG on a good line, so this where, is the same way. Where is Alexander? I believe he's on Earth at this point. He, he okay. might be on Kronos as well. I'm actually not sure. He's 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 definitely not on the Enterprise or anything like that. He's on some planet somewhere. Because I was going to say, I mean, if you, the way the way that these things usually go, 
um, most likely he's going to grow up to be a very uh, fundamentalist Klingon, for yeah. lack of a better term, uh, well, just to stick it to his dad. We will. Uh, Alexander does come on to DS9 at some point. Oh, he does. Yeah. So is we do. We do get an episode this, that deals with this. Is he a this. very hardcore fundamentalist Klingon? You'll have to wait and see. You'll have to wait and uh, see. I call that a big yes. Um. So this is. I think that's going to happen to you too, Wes. Someday, your son is going to come home from college and he's going to be like, you know what, Dad? I that, really prefer. I really <laughs> prefer Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's fine. I have no as, son. As long as he's not watching Battle, Battlestar uh, or Babylon 5 or something like that, I'll be like, never watch that goddamn show. Um, I, wa- I hate Star Trek, Dad. I want to watch Firefly. <laughs> the Cowboys. Um, There's only 14 episodes, damn it. The... I think that the... My last thing that I wanted to go out with these with these guys is that the... Um, I think that the the Klingon storyline and Worf storyline in particular is fleshed out very well in terms of what DS9 brings to it. And I think that the um the way that what DS9 did is sort of salvage that storyline for me and it brought a new perspective to it that I think is really effective. Like I think that storyline works really well on DS9 in a way that it didn't work on TNG. And I think that the you know, we were arguing about who has the most tragic arc. Um, Worf, I think, is a contender with this new perspective on being one of the yeah. most tragic characters in Star Trek. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted by the very loud garbage truck outside my house. No, no problem. Uh, yeah, he he's um, he really does have the most. Uh, uh, continuing pain of a lot of these characters, like at least visible pain anyway. Um, you know, Kira, I feel Kira to an extent is kind of like in a really good place at this point. Yeah. Um, she, she maybe had the worst moment of suffering, but she came out in a pretty good place. So it like canceled out some of the lifetime of suffering. You know what I mean? Yeah. Odo is, I guess Odo is fairly conflicted still and still in pain to an extent, but Maybe not as much because he's he's been he seems to be pretty cool with where he is, and it only comes up when he inter interacts. He's with a he's a good version of TNG Worf problem, right? Yeah, like war, uh, the way that Odo responds to his problems is only in the context of the story being the focus of the episode, and otherwise he's pretty okay with it. Yeah, more or less. Um, Bashir is just you know happy to be know, here. He just he's sad <laughs> that he can't play tennis anymore, I guess, or something yep. like, through the game. I forget. Uh, O'Brien also just happy to be here. Um, Dax, I don't really know what she's doing in the show at this point. Yeah, it's true. Um, does, does Worf ever have any, any conflict about having the huts for a, a, a woman with the mind of an old man? Uh, would that at least seems ha- like something he would have a problem with. Yeah. It would at least have to be in the back of his mind. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man, I mean, being a Klingon, maybe he really respects um, Curzon. Uh, he obviously does. Yeah, yeah, he respects his elders and really values uh, uh, experience in life. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a turn on. <laughs> um, and Cisco, Cisco is kind of in a good place too. I mean, he's <laughs> he very clearly is over his wife. Um, yep. He's seems to be cool with his son. He's got a girlfriend, I think, still. Yep. Uh yeah, everybody seems to be having a good time. Quark seems to be in a pretty good place. Everyone seems to be in a good place except uh you know emo wharf. 
Yeah, yeah, Worf is Worf is in the uh, the most conflicted out of all the spaces, and I think that the uh, the consistency that they show him to be in that place, I think, is very satisfying. It's a he's good just, turn. He's just taking O'Brien aside and asking him if he if he's ever listened to Sisters of Mercy, <laughs> and going to Quark asking for black nail polish, listening, uh, drinking prune juice, and listening to Dashboard Confessional. All alone in the hollow suites. Anyway, I think we're Quark, done talking about this. Have one. you ever seen my favorite movie, The Crow? <laughs> you know he died filming this. Um, <laughs> a true on uh, a true warrior's Sorry, death. That, that that obviously is not funny, but that would be really funny coming from him. A true warrior's <laughs> death. <laughs> um, we're going to take a break. I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. We're going to read some patron thoughts. We'll give our final thoughts about the Sons of Moog. You know it. My one regret is, Worf, that we weren't raised together in the Empire. On Earth, it wouldn't have mattered, but the sons of Morg should have never been separated. On that, we both agree. But that is the past, and a warrior should look to the future. And in the future, you should not be burdened by my dishonor. You are not a burden. I have never understood you, wife. But I do know this in your own way. You are an honorable man. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave a couple dollars a month and then you get to leave a comment on the upcoming episodes and we read them and react to them. Holly McLaughlin says, Sons of Moog, I really enjoyed this one. It gives more depth to the Klingons beyond just honor culture of warriors and the solution Bashir and Worf work out to kill Kern without killing him is a reasonable compromise. Best scene, Cisco yelling at Dax and Worf when they've reached the limits of his tolerance so he can cut the, they can cut the Klingon shit out. You didn't mention the other. I love that Cisco scene, uh, Clay. We've we've poked fun yeah. at Avery Brooks uh, for the choices he make that don't really work. I think he, <clears throat> when he's angry at people, and there are many supercuts of Cisco yelling at people on the internet. Um, when he's yelling at people, I think is one of his best modes of being an actor. Actually, yeah, which makes sense because it allows him to go over the top. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, but not over the top in like he's not over the top when he yells in a James Bond uh, villain kind of way. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 uh, very much a, um, it's a very convincing superior, uh, uh, commander or, you know, father who's yeah. mad at you. I, I like that scene. I, I, I guess they've hinted at it enough that they've been doing this. So that's a problem. Cisco, I guess the, the problem for me, really, if you think that there's any problem with that scene, is that Cisco doesn't have Picard's, sense of ethics i don't think like cisco is much more willing to bend the rules or be willing to understand why people do break the rules sometimes in a way that picard probably isn't i don't think Mm -hmm. and while picard would never break down and scream at Worf that way he would be much more upset with Worf trying to kill his brother i i I found i didn't really even though i love the scenes and i love the follow-up scenes where cisco is drinking coffee at the cafe and people are coming up and o'brien's like cisco can i tell he's like no chief like i don't want to hear any more excuses for wharf i like all that stuff um but cisco getting mad feels a little bit out of character for him at that point i don't know if you would agree with that um maybe not mad but like mad to the extent that he gets i think feels a little bit strange to me i don't know i mean i 
his uh, what what does Worf do on the ship? Is he security officer? Strategic I liaison, I think. He's like in charge yeah. of organizing all the uh, the ships and the around the station. Yeah, I mean, if well, if your strategic liaison or really anybody who is under your command is found trying to murder his own brother for <laughs> ritualistic reasons, I yeah. I can see him being pretty pissed off at that. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Um, do I have a counter to that? Not really, I guess. I, I, I guess that's true. I, I think I maybe I enjoyed the I enjoyed it felt much more of a Cisco moment to me for him to be annoyed that his commanding officers are sort of playing fantasy makeup, dress up with each other. Um, <laughs> that feels like more of a Cisco problem than Picard would have a problem with that. So I like the fact that they focused on that at least. I did also think that it was kind of uh um Worf I mean, obviously you only have so many minutes to deal with this stuff and you gotta get things moving, but I was a little surprised that Worf agreed to do it so easily. To kill his um, brother. Yeah. Original first draft of the script was that was going to be the ending. And they decided that there was no oh. drama in that. So they decided to do it first thing to sort of make the audience go, what the hell is happening? Yeah. I mean, it worked on me. I was like, oh, that's that's a really interesting way to handle this. Because, uh, yeah, traditionally that would be like <clears throat> the uh, the running thing through the episode is, you know, Will he won't he? Will he won't he? Yeah. Um, so just yeah, just have him stab him in the chest and then uh, you know hand wave it away. So it still happened, but it, you know. And the the point of along. the problem with doing that is that because it's always a criticism of Star Trek. It's like you know at the end of the episode, Worf isn't going to kill his brother, so right, you can't right. build any drama going to that point because everyone will say, "I know this is going to happen. Let's just get to the end." So this is a smart inversion of that where you do it, but he doesn't succeed at doing it, and then he has to think about what that meant so that he had done that. Yeah, and I loved I loved the scene after his brother wakes up too. Yes, when he's like, "Hey, man, I did stab you in the chest. They just stopped you from dying." And he goes, "Well, did you try to fight them? Yeah, <laughs> did you try to? Did you do everything that you could to finish the job? No, Are you, you here didn't, with a knife to slit pussy. my throat? Is is the yeah. way that he ends it? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, that is very good. I, 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 the the look on his face when he's like, "I thought I'd be in Stovacor," um, which is a, a nice little touch. And you know, we never meet Moog. But you get a good sense of Moog, um, I think, through his children and the sort of the way that they talk about him. But well, his stats are undeniable in the way they that are. he played in the eighty nine ninety season. Just, <laughs> he's yeah, he, on the team in he, he only started seventeen games, but he had a hell of a per over those seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zam Nuclear Wessel says, "Well, Terry Fowler is the weakest DS nine actor. She does some good silent acting throughout, like amused looks at the foibles of others or her deer in the headlights faces honey bear." as Honey Bear. The dewy look on the end of Sog's, uh, Sons of Moog, where she's feeling for Worf, but knows he doesn't want her to say anything, nicely shows that her feelings for him are going beyond being distracted by his grunting. That's a good point. Um, I thought she, yeah, I thought she was pretty good in this. Yes. She doesn't, she's not involved in the, the plot, so she has to do the reaction shots, and I think she's good, as uh, as Vessel is saying here. Um, yeah, you know, I wonder, I think with shows like this, too, um, Sometimes the characters that you have for people don't necessarily play to their strengths as actors. And I think she's probably in that gray zone where they haven't figured out how to reconcile what she's good at yeah. with what Dax is supposed to be. Yep. Whereas everybody else is pretty much they figured it out. And I think the same thing. I think that's that, that has a lot to do with like uh, the weaker members on any of these shows. Um, yes. There's Obviously, always a role for any actor. You know, there's always a character that any actor can do believably. And you'd be like, that's good. It's just the, the, the problem is 
they write the character in the Bible first before they cast the show, right, obviously, right. and then they have to sort of hammer things into it. And sometimes they hey manage to adapt it. Hey, man, they got technology that can wipe minds. You can turn that character into whatever you want. That's right. That's right. They should have just put the Dax symbiont into Kern just to mix Ooh, things up a little bit. Oh, yeah. That would be good. Matthew Ross, Sons of Moog. I have to say that after a while, when originally watching the series, I was getting tired of the Klingons. A warrior does not tire of grandiosity. Please shut up and drink your damn prune juice already. But I circle back the show's previous understanding of Worf as a hipster Klingon learning about his own background with corresponding courses. My favorite scene is Cisco telling Dax and Worf to stop their BS was refreshing as it feels like too much leeway in the Starfleet structure. What does this character do? Medical, Starfleet medical is a bit scary since they can totally erase memories, something quickly bleeped over. The B-plot with the mines outside of Bejo was an interesting side note, and I liked that only two main officers instead of the entire crew was sent for a change. But how could they not figure out it's mines? Come on, duh. I didn't think it was mines, anyway. Odo is clearly a dick, but at least he's straightforward. Finally, the sadness of Kern and the strain of family versus tradition I felt was well conveyed, and worth walking alone on the promenade added weight to the story. Cue the Incredible Hulk series music instead. Uh, Neil Brennan says, Sons of Moog, Star Trek does brothers well. Have they done sisters well? Ever. Um, Kyle responded, the Dora sisters have a couple of good attributes each, which I think is a good po- uh, joke. That's a good pun the, right there. Uh, Cal, the, Cal Barrett the says, Klingon last comment. sisters, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cal Barrett says, sons of Moog, Klingon honor suicide has been done to death. Ha ha pun. So I'm happy the ending soon took a different turn. And how exactly does allowing yourself to be killed by the Klingon who brought dishonor on your family give you an honorable death? The show is in danger of just redoing storylines that TNG already did. But the big difference here is the ending. While TNG went back to the status quo at the end and wrapped up Kern's storyline in a nice little bow, I like that DS9 is willing to have an ending that completely changes the direction of Kern's story, ending it in a sad but necessary way. Taking what we know about Kern from TNG and Tony Todd's great performance, I find the ending to be surprisingly powerful, even if it does come out of nowhere and plays out very conveniently. Also, if he hasn't already, can Clay say something in this Klingon saying everything very articulately so it can be understood through fake teeth voice? Clay, are you going to oblige? Uh no. <laughs> you can't you can't just ask for that. It has to happen organically. That's true. And um I'm I I'm truly flattered that people remember stuff like that from yeah, episodes. Yeah, that was impressive cuz I did not remember that at all. I I remember you doing it, but I, you could not you know, I'd have a 1 in 350 chance or whatever how many episodes we have of actually getting the episode right that you yeah. had done that. I and I will say if if Worf asking Quark if he's seen the crow is not as good as that. Then I don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> um, that's it. Thank you very much, you guys. Thank you for leaving comments. As always, if you guys are patrons on Patreon, leave some comments. I think people um, maybe a little bit tired of it, which is fine. You don't have to if you don't want to. But it's always nice to read a couple of them. Uh, there's a new post up on Patreon if you want to leave some thoughts. Hey, man, as long as they forget that every month... It takes money out of their credit card account, That's right. then they yep. can do whatever they want. Those are my favorite patrons, the patrons who are generous enough to give money and then just never ask for anything in return. Um, <laughs> but we do have you know, stuff coming in return. We're doing um, – No, just kidding. We're doing, we're doing uh, Night of the Living Dead. It will be the podcast for Halloween this month. Yeah. You know, I actually just saw um, that I think it's the 25th. They uh for one night they're playing it in uh in theaters on the big screen like everywhere. Oh really? So I might try and get to that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but I mean I've seen that movie a billion times. So yeah, I'll have to I'll have to look it, it up. Talk about it. I'll have to look it up. Um, because I just figured out the the theater nearest to me is one of those do um 
the sort of very high end sort of cushy seat job things where you pay twenty five dollars to watch a movie with a table in front of you. Oh yeah. Um, I haven't tried it out yet, but I'll have to get out there. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Uh, Sons of Moog, Clay. What are you going to give this one? Um, I think this one's tough uh, because my instinct is to give it a four, but is this just is? I think this falls into the problem that we we talked about previously, where like is the status quo of the show now at a higher level where this is like a three, this is like a good episode, but it's not an amazing episode. Uh, and it's just, this is like what the good episodes are like, are this good? Uh, or is it a four? Um, I want to, you know, I'll give it a four. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd give it a four. I I really like it. I think it's really really strong. For some reason, it doesn't give me the uh, the gut punch that I think it should. Even though I do think the ending is very is very good. Um, some of the five maybe it did, but your mind was just wiped. That's right. That's, you'd have to tell me about it, Clay. Are we co-hosts on a podcast? You know, uh, what's a podcast, man? <laughs> you have to say I have no co-host. Um, I have no co-host. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to give it a four as well. It's missing a l- something. There's something off about it. Uh, this, the side questy stories in the middle don't really sit right with me. But other than that, I think it's really, really strong. It's a good ending for a current character. Um, it's a good fleshing out of Worf, I think, at that point. I really enjoy it. It's just maybe not one of the strongest episodes that the show would do. So yeah. I'll give it a four as well. Yeah, it's too bad he doesn't come back. He's really good. Yeah, he is good at that. Um and we're never going to see him as older Jake Sisko, unfortunately, either. But yeah, Kern, Kern is gone. So, it would, how, <laughs> would it have been a better episode if at the end when they might wipe his mind, he wakes up and he's like, who am I? And they're like, your name's Jake Sisko. <laughs> and you're a writer. <laughs> and your father is lost in time. Somewhere. Yeah, they just, they because they talk about all the, the uh physical changes they can do and it's just turns into him and the old man makeup at the end (laughs) yep yep uh what the hell is his name actually he turns into rodek rodek at the very end which i'm not i enjoy the episode enough to not consider how they're supposed to pull this con off where kern disappears and then this guy just all of a sudden has a 35 year old son appear out of yeah Yeah, that was another thing I didn't like where it's like, well, if if part of this is that he's regaining a family who is an honorable family, I assume, in the Klingon hierarchy or whatever. Yep. They're told to be uh, small, though, which I think is to imply that he's not going to be in the, the spotlight. Yeah, e- even still, it's I feel like it raises more questions. And also, he doesn't look any different. He just looks like Kern. Had they done the surgery at that point, or was he like scheduled to have some surgery done? I think I, I, they... I. The way they talked about it, when he woke up, everything was done. But I didn't feel like he looked any different. And maybe I'm just, you know, I'm racist towards Klingon bumps or something. And they changed a bunch of the bumps on his head. I have no idea. But he didn't look any different to me. No, I didn't think he looked any different either. Um, They didn't change his clothes. He was still wearing the same clothes. Yep. (laughs) He takes his wallet out and it says, uh, Kern. He said, what the hell is this? (laughs) Damn it. <laughs> um, that's about it. So we both give it a four. If you guys enjoyed the show, you can check out all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Discord. Go to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. We'll be doing Night of the Living Dead uh, coming up soon. I think I'm going to do a patron live stream with some of the patrons. I think we'll be talking about um, 
DS9 the first half of season four, just to kind of give my thoughts about, uh, give some outside opinions about what we think about the season so far. And I think that'll be it. Uh, Clay, do you have anything that you want to say? Uh, Poser 2 is in stores. Um, Night Moves number one will be out next month. Uh, <laughs> ask your local comic book store or wherever you buy comics. I don't even know where people buy comics anymore. Walmart. Do they? Walmart. Do they sell? I don't I'm even know sure. if they sell comics. They actually just started, DC just started doing a thing where they're um, putting spe- uh, spe- comics that are specifically made for those marketplaces in those marketplaces. So it's not just like, you know, your normal whatever Batman or what they're doing special magazine editions that are going into like Walmarts and, and Targets and stuff like that. Yep. So white, white trash man, his comic yeah. run is. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> which is great because uh, I, I, you know, however you can get people's a comic in somebody's hands, I'm all for it. Uh, as long as it's not like attached to some sort of, you know, hateful screed or something. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I think, I think I saw that the problem though, is that these are all being like bought up by speculators because that's Mm. also still a thing for Mm -hmm. some reason. Um, so they're putting them in a large, uh, uh, stores that have lots of people in order to get them to more people, but they are then being bought by fewer people, making them harder to get, um, because nothing makes sense. Well, that's the, uh, the high cost of low prices. Uh, check out yeah. that. You know, it's funny to documentary. me. That would be that would be if I if I could make one argument for digital comics, it would be that because comics are something are unlike unlike movies or unlike uh, music. Comics, for some reason, are a form of entertainment that also has a collectible monetary value assigned to it by people because of, you know, scarcity or whatever. Yep. Um, And digital comics don't have that. So it allows you to have access to the things that you want to have access to without having to go through a third party who's going to jack up a price just because you didn't get there on the first day to get one of the five copies that they ordered or some shit like that. Yes, yeah. I mean, Um, the the digital... The problem there is that people, if people had quality printers, that would fix everything, wouldn't it? Like, if if you could get glossy paper, if you were really into your comics and you wanted to have the digital to have it forever and then like a perfect pure copy of it and then you could print it well, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, That would be interesting because the... Yeah, it's Um, that's that seems like a lot of work. (laughs) It it does. It's more... Uh, video games are running into a weird thing now. I don't know if you follow the news here, but the uh, Nintendo shut down a bunch of big ROM sites, which is where people would oh, go really? if you want to sort of download yeah. your old games and everything and you want to emulate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Nintendo is a terrible business that does things like this. But the problem is that uh, those are the only places that seem to be archiving these things because yeah. the companies themselves don't have the copies of them anymore. When they really re- re-release games like Final Fantasy VII, they have to do it with code that was written for the uh, the PC release because they no longer have the original code to do things with. So That's really surprising. The actually. companies themselves don't care enough about their own original material to take care of it, and it's up to the sort of very dedicated people, collectors who sort of get the ROMs and then hold on to them and try to share them to maintain them. And then people want to get rid of those to do things. And it's just kind of a, it's nice to have the originals sitting around, even if, it, you know, people are still going to buy the uh, the new stuff. It's it's kind of a tangent off the comic book, but it's the same idea, I guess, to have like the original be there for everybody. 
Well, even with Nintendo, I mean, you can, they put out those little, the, uh, Nintendo special edition or where the hell it was that the tiny ones that came with like 60 games on them. Oh yeah. The classics. Yeah. Yeah. But they made like 12 of them. Yep. So no, nobody could get them. So it was, uh, the prices, the, the secondary market prices went through the roof and it's like, what's the point of even doing this if nobody's going to be able to get it? And, it's um, Japanese business or something, there's something bizarre about Nintendo. Nintendo, Nintendo is like the business that succeeds, even though they don't do anything right. They're like the anti-business somehow. They don't do anything right that would ever make them any money. But for some reason, people still love them. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. And th- that thing too, it's like, it's not even like they were charging a shitload of money. Like usually when they, usually you think stuff that comes in small quantities and very limited, they usually bump the price up. You think about like liquor or something like that, like a yep. small batch bourbon that you know has been aged for 25 years or something is going to be more expensive because there's less of it available yep and there's people Um, who are willing to pay the higher price to get it enough of those people but these nintendo things they were like 60 bucks it's not like they're it's not like they made like 14 of them and each one of them was one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. they each they they were they were each like 60 bucks but then they were just gone yep um I i don't know what the thinking behind that is but you know Nintendo 64 Classic got re- leaked recently, so that's coming. Soon. Oh, is that coming out? Yeah, it's coming out. Ooh, I might have to pick that one up. That's, uh, like, that's right in the pocket for me. Yeah, the thing about the thing about Nintendo, the old Nintendo games, the reason that they only put like 30 games on there is because most Nintendo games are terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I uh, speaking of emulators, uh, one time we were at our friend's condo and they had downloaded on their Xbox like every single Nintendo game ever. And I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to play these. There's so many that I always wanted to play that I never got to play. I think I must've gone through about 50 to 60 games in maybe an hour because yeah. they were terrible. No, terrible I have the, games. I have the, uh, it's pure nostalgia. I don't have the NES classic, but they have the super Nintendo classic, which I think nice. the NES classic is actually a worse version of this, but I got the SNES Classic. I was very excited. I didn't get it when it first came out, and I had to wait. Like I got like email reminders when things would come into Walmart, and I would try to buy it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I got it. I went and picked it up. I was like, all right, this will be great. Um, I modded it, which is easy to do. I downloaded a bunch of ROMs, and I put the ROMs on it, so the thing has like 100 games on it as opposed to the 30 that it came with. And I played it for 15 minutes, and I haven't touched it since. Yes. <laughs> It's just yep. it's just sitting there collecting dust. I just like the idea of having it more than I actually enjoy the experience of playing those games anymore. Yeah, I wonder how much that is a thing now. Cause uh I feel like I feel like that a lot too. Where I'll, you know, something I'm after, I'll get it and I'll be like, cool, right on the shelf. You know? Yeah. Um Yeah, I although I did see that Sega's doing one too. And uh, Sega Genesis was my jam, so yeah, they should. I can't wait. They, they all it, should. It makes it as a lot long of as it comes with the first Spider-Man game and the Lion King and Aladdin, then we're good to go. <laughs> Lion King and Street Fighter Two. Anyway, I think we're done, um, guys. Thank you very much for listening to Sons of Moog. The next episode, I think, is Bar Association. Yes, it is Bar Association. So, and also next episode, we need to talk about like younger things, so we don't spend three episodes episodes in a row talking about old man stuff. Sure. So we're both going to go out and listen to the latest uh, Drake release. Yep. Um, we'll come in we'll and tell you all the, about that. We'll talk about the uh, the ups and downs of Fortnite. Yep. <laughs> the, uh, what else is currently in the news? We'll talk about uh, the Romanoffs, that TV show that's on Hulu. 
I'm just going to yes and that because I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about the Ariana Grande breakup with that guy Ooh, she was dating. Yeah, yeah. And um, questionable taste in men, I think she has. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. Although, and I guess we'll talk about Kanye too to just kind of wrap these things up. But <laughs> that'll be it. We'll talk about Kanye and why he should have been the third Moog brother. Uh, we'll talk about that <laughs> next week. Anyway, guys, Is thank it you very much. He says for fam a lot. <laughs> Make Kronos great again. Guys, we Boy. will see you uh, in a couple days with Bar Association. Thank you very much for listening. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Guys, see you next time.